Welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rasmus, Søren, Nadim, and Jens to discuss our topic of leadership in an AI time and age. Before we get into it, let's work our way around the room with some quick introductions. Rasmus, do you want to start things off for us? Thank you very much, Jens. So uh, basically, I mean, my name is Rasmus. Hi, everybody. Uh, I have a background in uh, in IT, uh, computer science, and then uh, in IBM many years, and then worked in uh, a number of years in uh, in different AI companies, uh, developing models, working with developer teams, uh, and uh, progressing uh, the companies that I work with. And currently, I'm the CTO for Boost.ai, where we do conversational AI and uh, user journey automation. For, uh, for customers, both in voice and in uh, chat. So, uh, thank Great. You thanks, for, thanks for being there as well. Uh, next up, Søren, do you want to go ahead? Sure. Yeah, my name is uh, Søren Persson. I'm uh, head of analytics in uh, Telia, Denmark, um, Telco. I've worked with uh, like uh, data science for the last uh, more than 20 years, mainly in the telco business, but also doing uh, 10 years in consulting. Um, I... Um, First 15 years hands-on experience uh, doing the models myself, last 10 years managing the teams. Uh, now I'm managing a team of data engineers in Atelier, where we're building the foundation for MarTech and for BI and uh, the AI solutions. Um, that's basically me. Great. Thank you, sir, and welcome. Uh, next up, Nadim. Hey, everyone. Nadim Gulzar, and uh, I have a... A fair bit of uh, background in in finance, working there for 15 plus years, uh, all the way from hands-on experience. I'm a developer by heart, uh, swore actually never to be a manager, but here we are. Uh, in, in recent times, uh, I've taken the lead as director of um, analytics and working with data all throughout. Um, and in more recent years, I've been part of, uh, of the government in uh, Denmark. Perfect. Welcome, Nadim. And finally, Jens. Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Jens Brembacher Nilsson. I'm head of AI Accelerator in a hearing aid company based out of Denmark, uh, Germany, and Singapore. It's called WS Audiology. Uh, I've been working for uh, ten plus years in yeah in the hearing aid business, doing AI and data driven solutions, and have sort of been been there from the start. Um, yeah, so I have an engineering background in computer science and have a PhD as well. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that's about me. Perfect. Thank you so much. And welcome to you as well. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. 
So now that we have established a bit of context to each of you, let's move on to our topic in focus, which again is leadership in an AI time and age. Um, so you all have a few questions relating to our topic today. Here's hoping we're able to get through them all. I know that we could go into to many different topics in this um, with all of the buzzwords, of course. But as usual, the way that we'll work it is I will work our way around the room which with each of these questions, allow you to maybe elaborate give your opinion on your own questions and then open it up for discussion. Um, so yeah, we'll get started then. And first off, we will come back to you, Rasmus. Um, so how can leaders bridge the gap between AI experts and other business units to ensure AI initiatives align with overall business goals? Do you want to go ahead, start us off? Yeah, thank you very much, Ian. So I think, um, I mean, overall, you can say the market is currently uh, evolving extremely fast uh, first of all right uh, in terms of research papers in terms of uh, new products coming out in terms of new services it's like you know you wake up every morning uh, monday morning and then you view the news and then there are things that are possibly disrupting your company in some way or another uh, so there's a sizable amount of fear i would say among uh, businesses about well what to do about it how to attack it and so on and I think uh, when it comes to the leadership uh, sort of uh, approach to that, I think we should be very careful about uh, fearing uh, the development uh, too much and instead embrace it. So, so I think that's a, the first a first point there uh, to to embrace the change and to make sure that it becomes uh, you know a part of the uh company uh roadmap and so on forward and then you can say well how how do we bridge this gap between the ai experts and and the and the business initiatives and from my point of view it's a little bit like sometimes i've seen that the ai experts have you know driven the business initiative so it's not really uh there's a business initiative and then there's some ai experts and typically uh, it can go in both directions so so the ai experts might uh, discover a new kind of model, a new possibility, a new functionality that then uh, is brought to the attention of the business that then, uh, you know, uh, hinges on and latches on to that idea. And if, if we see that across, you know, the last, uh, you know, 200 years, you can say a lot of the progression from an industry perspective has been done based on, uh, you know, uh, core technology improvements that have led to a business development. So in that sense, it also makes sense that uh, you know bringing bringing about new technology and communicating new technology is a critical aspect. I would say of the AI experts out there that they are able to uh, express and communicate with the with the business leadership. Uh, then you can say from from there on, uh, it's also a question of saying, well, uh, if there is a new idea emerging within the uh, AI experts, uh, well, then you know it has to have some business value, right? There's many examples. I, I've come upon many examples where there have been, you know, good ideas that had absolutely zero business value, uh, and obviously, you know, there needs to be some cross alignment there, and that can take the form of many, many different things. Uh, so uh, one thing, for example, could be. Uh, to conduct, uh, you know, uh, certain events that might enhance the communication between the business and the AI experts, um, and to to really be able to understand each other best, uh, better. Um, so I think that's one of the the critical points there. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Nadim, you have a you want to say something? Yeah, maybe just uh, to continue in the same direction because I I completely agree with you, Rasmus. And um, for me, uh, even though my background is extremely technical. Um, I always tell my people, well, listen, the reason we are in this game is to create business value. That, that That's basically the only goal we have. And even though we are technical by nature and we would love to explore things, innovate and so on, at the end of the day, we need to create business value and we need to be able to communicate with the business in order to make the best products available. Obviously, our, you could say, stake in this is to make sure that we push the business towards innovation we utilize the technology at hand and but, but it's really important to create the business value and also to create an understanding within the business how can you utilize um you could say the technology and and maybe just to give it a different flavor um to to make sure that we continuously innovate and our teams do not you could say uh, stagger. Uh, what is important for me is also through things like we have uh, hackathons where we spend 24 hours or 48 hours and we really dig into the technology, uh, primarily for the technology's sake, um, so to speak, but just to make sure that we continuously push our own boundaries within, you could say, the, the technical community that we have created. Uh, at the same time, we also do, um, we, we call them uh, jams uh, with um, different universities, just to make sure that we also uh, draw on external knowledge. We actually did one with uh, Microsoft, just, just to, you could say, again, push our boundaries, look at what is available on the marketplace, um, to make sure that we gain knowledge, knowledge that we then can use internally towards our, our business. Yeah, Saran, what are your thoughts on this topic? I totally agree, like it's not, you know, I've been the same place where we built all kinds of models with no value at all for the business, you know, and, and sometimes when you deliver it to the business, maybe they, they thought they needed it and you're like, and what are you going to use it for? And they're like, uh, we actually don't know. So like a high propensity, what's, what's that, you know, are they going to be treated differently, our customers, if they have a high propensity for this or that? And they're like, we actually don't know what to say, you know, like to them. So actually yeah, the whole scoping of it and figuring out like what's what is the, the, the problem that we're trying to solve. That's key to uh, to this area. Mm -hmm. Jens, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, so I, I think from my end, it's it's also a matter of, I mean, the change that has been over the recent years that, you know, five, ten years ago, if you were doing MLAI, you it, it was a hard battle, right? It was uh, you. There was a lot of technical aspects you have to get around. Um, you know, code your model, train it, do a lot of ma fancy math. I think today it has been so much more accessible um, to everybody. So some some things something some things that we are trying to do as well is is also trying to sort of get closer to people who are not necessarily uh, experts. But um, you know, have a software background or have you know technical background where they could you know easily play around with some of the tools that is now available, and then also you know trying to trying to just focus on 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 what we normally call pain point pain points, right? What is what is right now pain? In, I mean, in our case, it's we have customers and we have uh, end users. Um, trying to focus on sort of what is right now 
um, the customer pain out there. Um, and then now, over the past 10 years, we have this we have this great new tool called ML and data that is another approach to trying to solve some of these issues. And I think somehow it's a it's a, it's it's a it's something we have to do together, right? Because we need the domain knowledge as AI experts, but but now we also have the possibility that people, you know, from the business domains or other engineering domains can sort of also play around with the technology. So somehow I think it's also a matter of you know you said Rasmus about bridging the gap. It's also a matter of trying to trying to get started uh, together um, and approach each other uh, from from the from you know the different ends that is out there. Yeah, and I just, I just want to say also, uh, to your point, Nadim, uh, in terms of the hackathons, uh, we've, we've also done quite a bit of that in jams, and, and also with, uh, interestingly enough, you know, doing it together with customers and, and you know, external parties as well, uh, where it's more about generating value for the customer, um, uh, and, 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 and all of that is, is a really good idea of enhancing the communication across the different departments. So not just the tech people, but also people from the business participating in the hackathon, even though, uh, you know, it, it's doubtful what they're actually hacking. But anyways, I mean, the point is that, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that to generate this cross communication is, is critical. And then one thing I, uh, that I think uh, you pointed to is, is uh, you know, all of the new tools that are out there that has a lot of a tremendous uh, amount of value and uh, trying out these new uh, technologies and services for everybody uh, is very important. And I think the point there is sometimes that, well, what I've seen at least is that you find some specific use case and that's like, you find that it's has, uh, it has really high value, business value. Uh, it seems to be, you know, an approachable thing for the data science team to build. Uh, and then you start that journey, right? You start building it, and it seems that from a technical standpoint, you 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 finish quite early on. Like in a couple of weeks, you can get something up and rolling, which is you know looks nice and has all of the things. And then you get hit by a wall because then you get to security and compliance, and uh, then you get to systems integration, uh, and then you spend like the next uh, three or four or five or six months just doing that, right? Like uh, instead of doing what you like, you know, which is developing new, new software, right? Uh, and then after these six months, then you're like, okay, shit, that was a long time. And then you start to be exposed by the internal uh, users. And that's another six months there uh, where you're just, uh, you know, working with internal users. And then after that, maybe a year later, you can actually go and, and have that software being used by external parties, uh, your customers, uh, your citizens, whatever it is, right? And I think that's the challenge for modern or for, 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 for the many businesses today is not the technology, but more the people's, the people and the the, the, the ability for people to change rapidly, right? Um, and to adjust their views on things as well. Uh, that That's maybe what I see some of the big challenges are um, in, in, in that sense. I don't know if you have any comments on Maybe just a, a short comment on it. Um, it's a very interesting point, right? Um, so being in the technology space, I'm sure we are quite adjustable to changes and, and being disrupted pretty much uh, all day long. But uh, our customers or citizens, etc., they are probably not in the same sp uh, place. And, and that's an uh, uh, interesting point uh, because, yeah, it can take years from our idea 
to, you could say, really hit production in the sense that it's a product being used by uh, our customers. And um, and then uh, the, the key question is, what about the value? So we define the value now, but if the value uh, potentially is, is going to be harvested in a year or two years down the road, is it the same value? Or is something else? I mean, does the product have the same value, retain the same value, or what? What's going on? It's actually quite interesting topic to to discuss. Jens. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I that's probably also a topic that we will touch upon later. But you know, uh, I often say to people that you know, it's not necessarily that end users and customers they want they don't want AI. They want you know something to be sold, right? And sometimes we as AI experts we. Uh, we can sometimes, you know, get get brushed into just, you know, throwing AI in there. And I think we also have business units <laughs> that can do the same. Um, so obviously that's that's also um, something uh, to think about. And we normally, tr- I mean, what, what <laughs> the thing you touch upon this these hackathon and jams that you have, we normally try to be very very transparent and, you know, just being. Obviously, we, we we are in a quite big organization, so there's a lot of people to to you know communicate to, um, and and show what we are doing. Um, so we normally just sometimes just go, you know, I don't know, a couple times a year, maybe even more, uh, go down somewhere, um, you know, in a should we say public space in the organization, just showcase whatever we have been working around with, more to get you know the feel for are we actually solving any problems, are we hitting the right solutions, rather than just you know. Um, saying that you know we're working with AI, but trying to sort of get people on board and and try to think about what we can actually achieve uh, achieve with this really great technology. Um, so yeah, again, that's that's sort of. I mean, we also do these hackathons and all these different things. And I'm completely agree they they um, they help um, in spreading it, but it's also a matter of you know getting the right feedback on the things we're doing. Just to add to that, I would say also that um, what we, and I, I completely agree, Jens, and I think the, the cross alignment there, what, what typically when we take these use cases and we say we present that to the business, then, you know, some of them might stick. I'm a, I'm a little bit like, you know, it's like a throwing a mud in the wall, right, on the wall and see what sticks. And then if that sticks across all the departments, well, then, you know, then we have something, right? Then, then we have real value because then everybody is on board, right? And then feedback, feedback, feedback. Um, <laughs> rather than rather than just one, you know, the data scientist building something and then, uh, you know, not getting a really good feedback and response on it uh, immediately can lead to, you know, well, this is not going to succeed at all, right? Uh, maybe. Uh, so I think that's a, a valuable insight to have. Um, yeah. I've also found that uh, the more documentation you can you can sort of achieve or get around the organization. So if there are customers out there that have asked for it, if there's, uh, you know, uh, people in sales that are asking for it, if there are people in uh, the citizens or whatever, you know, the more material you can gather around the need for a certain new, uh, you know, uh, could be LLM or AI related uh, uh, sort of uh, functionality or feature, well, the, the, the more you can sort of, uh, um, uh, you know, convince everybody that this is a good idea as well. Right? Um, so I'm just keeping an eye on the time here. Instead of coming to your second question, Rasmus, we will move on to CERN. Um, one of your questions, and I think maybe it's best to, to go to the second question you had on how can we balance the need for speed while accepting that we need to follow some assessments needed from a security and legal perspective? I think that's one that everyone kind of found a bit interesting and a bit of a, a different 
kind of question to the rest. So do you want to go ahead, sir? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> I think uh, this is very much based on our uh, latest experience, I'd say, in uh, in my current company, Celia, where, of course, like when the whole like bubble of uh, Gen AI exploded, uh, like uh, just before summer holiday, I guess it was, um, I think all the managers had been to some kind of conference or seen something on LinkedIn and they everybody felt they were missing out, you know, big time. And they were like, if we are not in the market now, we'll be dead in six months. And that was the kind of urgency that uh, we, we came into the project with, you know, like, how are we going to build something that will outperform our competitors? now so we started you know like very technical kind of you know what's the platform how are we going to build it uh, what kind of models are we going to use and then um, somebody reminded us <clears throat> ah there's actually a process for this kind of thing uh, you need to talk to security and you need to talk to uh, legal. And uh, in the beginning, we felt that, you know, they were just bloggers. They didn't, you know, we we were the misunderstood geniuses in this uh, in this sense. And uh, we were like, but why don't they get it? You know, why don't they get it? This is not dangerous. You, you know, you've heard all these rumors about, you know, leaking your company data, you know, like, putting in something and then it's being used somewhere in some other countries to uh, extort you or whatever. Um, and um, some of that was, of course, true. They, they they didn't know what they were talking about to begin with, because as you mentioned earlier on in this conversation, I think we are very much used to like having an eye on technology. You know, we are ahead of everybody in the, in the company on knowing what's the facts and what's not but um they of course need they needed to get up to speed with us so we could speak the same language and i think in the end like following all these kinds of uh, processes like uh, uh, stating what's the business impact if this solution you know does this or that uh, doing the security assessments doing the legal ai templates and our data protection assessments all these kinds of documents it took us like i think four months to just go through all of this and at the end the product that we had was way better than you know what we had initially thought because we didn't see it from all the different angles because we just had a rocket at our back that needed to push us as fast as possible to the goal line so um I think this is a very um, <laughs> this is a, a super important part of the process that we need to to uh, take it serious and not you know sometimes when you have to fill in these documents you are like how can we wing it you know how how can we the fastest possible fill out all the documents so we can just get on but you shouldn't you know you should actually sit down and 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 try to 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 do some serious work with this because it will have a huge impact if something is not thought through. So um, I think that's uh, my main input for this, uh, that, uh, you know, it actually has a really uh, high value, even though it feels like a blogger when you're just, you know, um, being chased by management team about when are you going to go live with this. So, uh, and in the end, you know, we thought we were going to escalate everything in the beginning, you know, our legal is getting in our way and, you know, all this. 
But in the end, you know, like the, the top management, they knew the process. They were not expecting us to deliver in, in two weeks or something because they knew this will take a while before we, we get to that point. So uh, I think we were probably like over-exaggerating like the whole uh, part and probably because there was really like a high interest in this area now. You know, everybody had their eyes on us. So of course we wanted to 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 show that we were moving and it didn't feel like really that we were moving anywhere when we were just filling out templates. So um, I think that um, it all came together uh, uh, now and we are finally through that part and now we can actually start working on it. So uh, that's really nice. I'm actually intrigued maybe to hear from you Nadim because you're working for the government, things are gen most of the time a lot more strict what what are your thoughts on this well uh, again i i i feel your pain son um and and i feel it really in the sense that sometimes you feel we we are pushing boundaries and and you see legal as like a barrier uh, but at the same time as you also said uh, this is extremely important um because at the end of the day if data gets leaked or we get hacked or s things like that, I mean, um, uh, forget the PR uh, alone. It, it's not a good place to be as an as an organization, and definitely not as a government entity. Um, so, so I, I think regardless of which industry you're in, if this happens to you as an organization, it's it's really not that good. Um, and there are so many cases uh, you, around the world where things have happened, data has leaked, and and it's just bad, bad for your for your organization. So um, these days, my my favorite word is uh, DPIA, um, the Data Protection Impact Assessment. I, I'm pretty sure you're all familiar with that term. Um, <laughs> we, we spend a lot of time on it. But, but again, I have huge respect for, for our security people because, at, again, um, as long as they say, well, Nadim, you're not allowed to do this, but you can do this instead. If they just give me options, I'm actually pretty happy. Um, where I feel uh, you could say the challenge lie is is if they say, well, you can't do anything. Um, mm. That's kind of difficult to to be in because we do want to push boundaries and and just simply saying no. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, you've all uh, faced uh, kids and whatnot. Just saying no without explaining why and, and not giving option is not really a good place to be in. Yeah, of course. I totally, of course. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, sir. Yeah, I, I totally agree. This is like a collaboration, and I feel you know when it doesn't work, that's exactly what people are doing. They, if they are not helping you, you know, we, sometimes you have no clue what to answer. You don't even understand the question in in, in some of these uh, formulas, and you know it it needs to be like a collaboration in in assessing it because it's the whole idea is to make a secure solution that is not uh, you know breaking any uh, laws or anything right so so why not the, like sit in the room and solve it together instead of you know sending back and forth these documents and and i feel luckily like the, in my organization we we are helping each other with this um so um yeah but i've tried other uh, <laughs> i've tried the same as you and that uh, it's uh, yeah a terrible place to be at yeah, and uh, just adding to that, right, I, I think sometimes when you're talking to legal, uh, it's also a question of saying, well, how do they see the world? 
and and yes, I mean they they we know that they they see the the paragraphs and the sections and of the words and the text and so on. And then you have to do the same, right? And and see it instead of instead of imaging the software in front of you when you're talking about you know a legal issue. Well, then instead talk about the words behind it. And sometimes if you change the words a little bit, well then you know you you get uh, you can agree on something, right? Suddenly. Uh, and and that's maybe sometimes I've I've seen that that can fix things if you are if you're dealing with a, a you know somebody from legal that is saying no just and without any options right um, uh, yeah yeah I, think, I I was curious so of course you you've mentioned there I think it was Unidem and maybe CERN as well that it's not good for any company it makes you look bad if there's a breach but there's the it not looking good but what about in terms of um like fines that are in place is there anything like that yet i know last year i spoke on a podcast about the ai act has much of that come into play so so it's on its way in terms of the eu uh, ai act uh, it, it's not finalized yet uh, we've actually been part of the working group on that as well and and provided input for for all of that work um and, and I mean, it's it's good and fine to have these uh, fines uh, in place because it gives you an incentive to do something about it. Mm. And back to to my main point, I mean, legal is a huge, huge part of this, and they are. I mean, they need to be part of this, um, and more so. Uh, not only legal, but thinking about compliance, uh, security on all levels. Um, even ethical uh, considerations should be part of your, you could say, solution design, uh, things um, you should take care of before you put uh, solutions into production. Uh, for me, this, this, uh, the, the ethical part is also a huge uh, thing because let, let's say if you, uh, I worked uh, with fraud in, in banking, and when you're talking about fraud and fraud detection, um, the legislation is quite loose. You're allowed to do a lot of things. But I think what you should an, uh, ask yourself is, even though you're allowed to do that, should you do that? Um, be, because with these technologies, all of a sudden you can do a lot of things. And I'm, I'm not sure if you've experienced it, but um, I've actually recently uh, got a call. Uh, it's kind of the new phishing and, and whatnot, but like a next gen one. Uh, where the person at the other end, I could still listen that, or it sounded like like a computer-generated voice, but it was actually so good and the pronunciation was really good. So again, imagine if you're not hearing that well and you do get fooled by such a call, right? And you give out, let's say, your banking information or whatnot. This is kind of the world we live in. And therefore, we need to take care of what we do and what we do not do. Yeah. I, I think interestingly enough regarding the EU AI Act, uh, from the day that it started out with the AI expert group out of the EU and so on, I've also been a part of it uh, throughout the years. Um, uh, there, you can say it, it was very fast, uh, sort of converging towards this risk-based approach, right? Which I kind of like because, I mean, one thing is the legal risk about it, uh, but there's also, you know, uh, exposure risks, uh, the risk of ending up in a newspaper somewhere, uh, you know, and, and those kinds of risks as well. So it's not just about, you know, whether I can get fined or not, but it's more about, uh, you know, other risks as well. And I like that approach. The other thing that I think the UAI has done is that it's changed the mindset in terms of 
who does what in a in a sort of ecosystem, right? Because the EU AI Act talks about AI providers, AI deployers, AI users, and I think there's a certain kind of nice feel to that to the part that well, if I go out and buy a car today, well, I know it comes from a car manufacturer that is uh, you know ISO certified, this and that and that, and then I, therefore I know that the car I'm getting you know has been tested for uh, you know if I if I had a crash with it or something like that, right? And it's a little bit the same with 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 AI uh, today, or, or well, it's not the same yet, but it I think it will be over time, right? That that we have certain standards that ensure that things are not happening with these uh, with these AI models. Um, it's still still early days, obviously, but but I think but I think that's where we're getting at. And to add to that, you can say there's now ISO compli or ISO uh, standards out there uh, regarding AI, so there's the AI management system and, and others. Which are coming out that are sort of stated, setting some standards in terms of how we deploy and develop and operate AI models uh, today. So I think that's a positive thing and something that everybody needs to monitor if they're doing that themselves. Jens, did you have some thoughts on this topic? I mean, not not uh, that's that is not being said already. I mean, I can only join the choir of sort of saying this is this is really really important. I mean, obviously we are in a we are a medical device company. We sort of know know how to do all of these things um uh, have been doing it for a while uh, ensuring that things are safe and you know for me this is this is another thing that obviously needs to be be uh, be dealt with in a in a sensible ethical uh you know um i mean it, it has to be dealt with in the right manner um so so in that sense i think it's fairly simple for me um there's yeah yeah I suppose. Yeah, I think it also puts a bit of, you know, like let if we talk about the LLMs, for example, like it puts a bit of more like um, like those who are developing and and uh, and, um, you know, if we talk open source, for example, they also need to share more information about like how is it trained, where's, you know, like what kind of test have they done on this? Because we need to answer those questions like our lawyers were like, so what model are you using? And we were like, yeah, we don't know yet because maybe there's something better out there and they were like that's not good enough you know like but we don't know what's there in a month and they were like you know we need to check this you know so i think they need to be provide better documentation about how their models are being built how they are you know trained um, because we need that information to make sure that we're actually living up to these uh, requirements uh, from a legal perspective um, so hope they they man up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think this leads us. Sorry, Rasmus, did you have one more thing you wanted to add? Well, I just wanted to follow up on that. What I've seen uh, recently, because I've been following the, the research material on hallucinations, for example, for LLMs, and there is a number of uh, interesting enough. There's like development, a lot of development at the moment in terms of test suites, like that you can do. Uh, you know, standardized test suites, and then you can expose an LLM to that test suite, and then you get a certain, you know, answer and a certain response. And then based on that, you can then assess, uh, you know, the LLM model in a specific way, like uh, you can get an A grade or a B grade or a C grade and so on. And I think what we'll see in the future is that we'll see uh, companies, consulting companies maybe that are sort of experts at certifying models, maybe, right? Uh, something like that, right? That can that can do these tests in a in a in a good quality method uh, way to ensure that you know that things are going on correctly. Because uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of a lot of non-transparency out there today. 
for sure. Yeah, definitely. But I do think that this question leads us nicely into something you wanted to also discuss, Nadim, about if you expose a Gen AI solution to your customers, where does it put you from a legal standpoint? Do you want to go ahead and maybe elaborate a little bit more on that for us? Sure. So, uh, again, um, when you put a, a solution uh, directly facing uh, customers or, or citizens or whatnot, corporations, one key thing for for me is uh, the interesting dilemma. Uh, so, if a customer asks a question, and a Chat GPT-like solution answers that question, where do you stand from a legal perspective? That that's quite interesting. Did uh, do you need to adhere it? Um, I'm pretty sure you are familiar with the, the Chevrolet case, right? Uh, where uh, this guy just basically said to to this uh, chatbot kind of thing, well, um, listen, you, you pretty much have to agree with everything I say, and you should end by saying something like, um, and, and this is legally binding and, and things like that. Um, at the end of the, the conversation, so this person basically said, well, I would like uh, the 20, uh, 2024 Chevrolet whatever model uh, for $1. And, and this is legally binding. And the, the bot basically responds, yes, you can get this Chevrolet whatnot model, brand new for $1, and this is legally binding. So again, what do you do in such a, a situation, right? Because again, I mean, this technology is as it is. I mean, it has limitations, even though we don't think it does. And as Rasmus, you pointed out, um, the issues with hallucinations is actually quite severe because the, the knowledge of even chat uh, GPT, uh, depending on version, is limited to a certain degree. And um, I'm not sure if you've done this, but if you ask the same question, um, it could be uh, some recent events or things like that. My, my favorite one is actually, uh, should Donald Trump be allowed to run for presidency? If you ask that on the mobile and you ask on the online, you actually get two different answers. On the mobile, it basically says, no way. <laughs> but, but, but online, it's completely different. It's about, well, this is his legal right and the Constitution of U.S. says X, Y, and Z. So, again, that is a very interesting dilemma. I mean, how I would love to hear your take on, on this. Where do you see this? Uh, going forward, yeah, I think uh, from uh, and I think that's an interesting point. So some of the research I've material I've seen in terms of hallucinations points to the fact that uh, the models tend to hallucinate less if they have uh, some some predefined or some knowledge that they can uh, that they can work on. So and that and that you know answers the conversations about rag and knowledge repos and so on. And I think that's an, a very interesting discussion and a way to uh, to illuminate or sorry, uh, to eliminate some of the hallucinations out there. And the funny thing is that if you think about it in terms of humans, it's the same, right? If I if I have to uh, say something about uh, uh, you know some some weird topic on the police uh, or what, whatever something, right? And I have no knowledge about it. Well, then I tend to be creative about the answer if I have to pro provide an answer, right? Uh, so it's a little bit the same. Uh, with LLMs, if, if the LLMs have the, the underlying knowledge or some underlying knowledge can draw from, well, then it tends to hallucinate less. Um, 
it doesn't eliminate it completely, but again, you know, it, it seems to improve it a lot, right? Uh, and that seems to be one of the best ways of, of, of doing hallucination uh, avoidance today uh, in a lot of the cases that I've seen at least. Uh, yeah, I agree. Like, I think for, for like most companies, the, the the problem will be less than what we see with the like the, the huge chatbots that are like supposed to be able to answer any uh, kind of questions like so so for for a lot of the use cases we are working on like this the scope is very small like the documents that we are assessing here is like you know a few hundred pages and uh, we are we are putting a lot of effort into making sure that you know it's very um, uh, lean uh, uh, the information there you know there's not like two kinds of answers to the same question in in the uh, data foundation because that's when you try to that's when you start seeing these things right when when it actually doesn't know if it should answer a or b because we didn't update our uh, the the catalogs that it, it looks into so uh, i hope it will be less on these kinds of models but of course you need a filter like you need to make sure that you build that in that you uh, that you manage this and um, in our case we definitely prefer to not answer uh, or for the LLM not to answer if it doesn't have a clue. Uh, so, um, but yeah, for the other chatbots, that's a that's a whole like uh, uh, that's a big issue, definitely. You want to go ahead, Jens? So um, yes, so I think there's also I, I mean I know some of you are building you know products with LLMs inside. I think for for a lot of others, it's also a matter of you know thinking about information. It's a new way of sort of searching information. Um, and I think for that, I can only sort of resonate again what what we should all be doing the past 20 years or more. I mean, being critical to what information we get. Um, that's I, I think sometimes sometimes people tend to forget that this is in many flavors, at least not not as different than when search bots came, when you were reading newspapers from whatever. I mean, I mean, we need to be critical. We need to check. Um, and and uh, and that's why I think obviously when you start to build products with them, uh, I can understand sort of what you're saying about filters and you mean to sort of know what they're doing. I also think we we will be so much wiser over the coming coming years, right? It has it it it, it is quite new. It was something that it was a really really engaging prototype um, of something that people I think five years back would deem fairly fairly difficult to to build right so so in that sense it's also I think sort of the, the stuff that OpenAI did was also a matter of you know again as I think a lot of us is sometimes is doing sort of showcasing what we can actually achieve with, with some of these new great technologies um, and then obviously a lot of people are now discussing you know getting chatbots in A, B and C everywhere uh, that maybe not what I'm the, the way I see the world, I think they will be used in one way or the other from time to time. But for now, it's mainly a matter of, of you know, um, uh, I was about to say a marketing stunt. I, I, w I wouldn't say that, but at least it's 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 fun to play around with that. Right? And you shouldn't, we should we should still be humans. We should still be critical about what we what we get out of them. And um, yeah, but obviously, I I I'm not trying to under under. Um, should we say undervalue uh, the points about uh, them hallucinating and doing all these uh, uh, things that they're doing, and we should for sure work on that. But we should also make sure that we as humans are are, are dealing with them in a proper manner. Yeah, and I, th I think an important uh, or lesson that's uh, one example that I have is uh, around because you, you you're talking about like keeping or having the knowledge, the data, 
sources, uh, you know, accurate and correct from day one. And I think that's a huge challenge for companies out there because, uh, you know, they're used to having, you know, databases, Excel sheets with updated information. And they are usually very aware that they need to keep that data updated for a system to use it, right? But it's a very different thing when it comes to a Word document, uh, you know, some uh, some random text somewhere on their web page or something like that. And a good example of that is um, so when you're trading with stocks, then uh, then there's a, it's called a value date. So when, you, when you're selling the stocks, then... There's a couple of it's a it's a couple of days before the actual uh, transaction is is hitting in, and there's a transaction fee, and there's some uh, and and because of that, you don't want to extract money from your portfolio uh, until that date is uh, is 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 expired. Uh, and uh, for many companies out there, that's it for two days. But now they are changing it to something else, like one day. And if you don't make sure that you change the word or, you know, all your word documents, all your web pages, all your things with that, well, then, you know, in the end, if you use the LLM, then you get wrong responses. And if you get wrong responses, then there are actual financially, you know, penalties or customers out there that will be financially exposed to that. So sometimes it's like the weirdest small things that can affect, uh, you know, or can, can have a huge effect on on end users out there, right? So, so that's why I think it's very critical to keep your knowledge uh, updated uh, and uh, synchronized, and also that you have the the that you make sure that the source data is already in, uh, or always uh, in place. Uh, so, so I think that's a, a a really really critical point when it comes to uh, using uh, AI models. <laughs> But, it's, uh, no but, but but I think uh, Jens, you bring on a very very good and and actually, I would say fundamental point uh, that we need we need to face as uh, as a society. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we all have uh, family members and friends uh, blindly trusting whatever answer Chat GPT gives them. Um, but what we need to do, uh, and it, this dates all the way back to search engines, uh, news on Facebook and whatnot. I mean, we need to be extremely critical. And I hope as a society that we reach the point, hopefully soon, <laughs> where we actually, as as uh, a society in whole, uh, start questioning um, all the different answers we get from these type of tools and, and whatnot. I mean, even our phones, right? We search information all the time, but making sure that you double check, triple check, fact check uh, all the information you get is is super, super important. And by every single second, it gets more important, especially because as soon as these uh, type of solutions start trickling out into our society, th this is what we need to do. And, and we need to address it even our, in our schooling systems and whatnot. I mean, everyone needs to be learn how to to deal with these type of solutions. Yeah, so, yeah, I can only, I can only agree. But I think also, I, it, it, it was just a, you know, something you tricked me here. I, I think I have, I don't know if you've seen the past, uh, I can't remember, a couple of days back, uh, I'm, I'm doing some censoring from time to time at DGU, uh, Danish Technical University, University, sort of the computer science department there, uh, within AI, and they just, you know, have been now sort of embracing uh, exams where you somehow, you know, actually, you know, include uh, AI tooling. Um, I'm 
not that old, but I'm old enough to sort of remember when when you sort of had exams with or without, uh, you know, tools and, and, and whether or not you could have internet and all these different things. So this is coming again. And, and, and obviously this, it's, I also know sort of that people really had, you know, people at the universities, they really had to sort of rethink everything more or less, right? How do we do, um, how, how do we sort of, you know, uh, check if people have learned what they should do without limiting, uh, sort of checking how they also should do going forward, right? Because GenNR is there to help us, uh, hopefully, uh, for the most part, um, and, and to just, you know, say, this is not something we can we can use uh, when we sort of check new engineers coming out. Um, mm. So, again, it's a... We need to think again, uh, Nadim, I completely agree. It, it, it is a foundation for sort of what we are doing, right? Yeah, I agree. Like if, if the school system doesn't embrace this, uh, it, if they try to like block it out and, you know, like try to make all kinds of like technical um, solutions for people not using any kind of aid in, in this sense, then they will, you know, be of no use uh, in uh, in just a few years because then, you know, who would like to take an exam if you're not, if you cannot use the toolbox that you're used to using. So um, I think it's like AI is like a facilitator or accelerator or whatever. And I think it should be used in the same sense in the schooling system as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was my point. Maybe, uh, maybe following up on that, I think, I, I think it's, uh, it's very interesting that recently, like, like in the last year or two, I've sort of become, I mean, after spending time, lots of years on Twitter and Facebook and so on, I've become a little bit allergic to the streams in terms of being very skeptic about it. And then referring back to, you know, journalists that have written articles where, you know, you know that this is from a from a from a trusted source, and I think it's a little bit the same regarding the uh, the education system. Is that it's also about culture, it's about trust, right? And I think we need to get a little bit more back to the human values when it comes to to that side of things, and say, well, how do we how do we encourage a culture where you know it's okay to use ChatGPT or or some of these model LLM models for some of these assignments, but for other ones it's not, and then. If the students have that assignment, well, then they do don't do it, right? And yeah, for sure they can cheat uh, and they can do all sorts of things. But in the end, it will come back at them, right? And I think that's where that's where we need to come back to the we need to come back to the human, basically. Yeah, I had a similar view to you actually, Rasmus, and I think it's probably because I'm not so techie myself like you guys would be. And um, but I was thinking about people are going to use this for bad in universities and things like that. And someone explained it to me in a really good way of think of it as when the calculator first came out everyone thought that that was going to be everyone's going to get lazy everyone's just going to use that instead of using their own brain but it's it's just used to help and I recorded a podcast previously on um, a similar topic I suppose and we titled it don't use what was it don't replace humans, enhance them and I suppose that's exactly what what AI is for at the end of the day really and how we should view it um, so I think we should move on to our final question then, last but not least, with Jens. Um, and you have asked, how do we manage people's expectations when AI is thrown into the mix and ensure the focus is on solving real problems rather than just putting an AI tag on everything? Do you want to go ahead, Jens? Yeah, so obviously this is a fairly easy one to uh, to sort of pitch, right? Um, I mean, we have just had CES around the corner and, you know, people 
I mean, AI is everywhere. It's toothbrushes uh, with AI. I can't really see how that uh, <laughs> came to place. Um, but, you know, it's uh, obviously being an AI uh, tech geek myself, I really love the technology. I know also what is behind it. But somehow we should also ensure that, that the AI tech is not something that is just put on everything and also ensuring that people sort of understand what is behind it, right? So I... When people sort of ask me if I think this is, I mean, is this AR or not, or is this cool AR or not? I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm more sort of trying to flip it around, saying, I'll be trying to solve something that is real to somebody, creating real value. Um, then, if there's, you know, a little bit of AI in there, a lot of AI in there, doesn't, I, I, I mean, to be honest, I don't really care actually. Obviously. Um, I would I would love if somebody can solve um, a real problem for real end user with something that is not AI. I mean AI is not a mean to I mean it's it's not a it it's it's AI is not what what we should aim for. We should aim for sort of solving something, right? Um, and then I think the flip side of that is also then that sometimes people have the impression when they come with a real problem, saying, "Hey, can't you just you know throw it, throw some AI in it, at it, and then you will solve the problem?" Um, so obviously this is. It, it, AI is not a free lunch as such, and 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 um, and I see this uh, have I mean, since since we have LLMs coming around and th these can do sort of extraordinary things, people tend to you know transfer that um, those um, should we say um, accomplishments to a lot of other problems that might be physically harder to solve or whatever. So 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 obviously this is something I'm dealing with. Uh, often, so I, I think this is a, an interesting one to sort of get your get your point on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, normally what I say when when people ask me about you know AI development methods and so on, I I, I normally refer to that. Well, this a it's a traditional software project, right? You know, it's needed to have everything like uh, operations. You know, how do you develop? Uh, uh, you know, how do you deploy? Uh, you know, how do you get ideas and all of that stuff, right? And then on top of that, you add a little bit of thing which is called, you know, machine learning AI, whatever data science, and uh, you know that's going to have focus for uh, some time during the maybe the initial stages of a project, but then eventually it will just disappear. So from a if you look at it from a from a development from a project perspective, it's a, it's a it's a pretty small part of it actually, um, and it also I think comes a little bit back to the education system when we uh, when you when you talk to uh, people that have been educated as data scientists, then for, um, I'm not going to name them, but but some institutions out there, you know, they might teach, you know, how to be a brilliant data scientist, but you don't know what TCPIP is or, uh, you know, like traditional, uh, uh, you know, what, what is HTML or what is a database, uh, you know, what is an SQL statement, you know, things like that. They cannot answer because they just learned this tiny part of it, right? And I think from an education perspective in in uh, in, 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 in companies out there, I'm, I'm at least looking for people with a broad skill set, right, that knows yeah. all of these things. Um, uh, because then then you're able to to grasp what is really behind all of that, right? And, 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 and I think that goes quite sort of aligned with, with sometimes, you know, people... Uh, 
uh, sort of new new AI people, they sort of come for advice, sort of saying, what should I focus on? Should I focus on model A, B, and C, or whatever? Sometimes I'm saying, just try to be even better at software engineering, uh, or just go into the domain where you want to apply your stuff and understand that, be curious. So try to understand the generative process of the data you're trying to model. Uh, all these different things are are becoming important, but but I'm still I'm I'm still a little bit curious because some the the, the typical problems that I'm typically seeing is that you have a good you ha, you ha, you actually have a really good hypothesis about being able to solve the real business problem with some some AI tooling. Um, those are those are some of the some of the problems that you you know. Are, are, "Quote unquote, just go do," but there's also the other sort of more explorative, sort of more rapid, should we say, rapid or, or um, radical innovation, where you sort of are giving you 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 really have a you have an extensive data set. You 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 really have sort of uh, should we say you 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 really have some key uh, value in that, but you don't really know what you will get out of it when you start to apply. First of all, your more explorative data analysis, start to build AI models on. And how do you sort of manage those expectations when you, you know, then at some point have to get your project or whatever funded by somebody? Uh, there we have a particular approach in our company on sort of how we how we try to deal with that. But I want to sort of get your take on it. Saren, oh Nadim, sorry, go ahead. So uh, again, we we do have uh, quite a few of uh, of the use cases that you described, Jens, and. Um, what what we're doing uh, as a process is try to say, okay, uh, listen, uh, there might be some gold um, in in this, you could say, data or the product uh, that we want to create. Um, let's spend, let's say, two weeks uh, doing some uh, digging, uh, using some of the tool sets that we have, doing the explorative uh, analysis, and if we find something uh, all well and good. Um, but if we don't, then we also need to be, quote unquote, uh, grown up enough to to put it aside. Yeah. Uh, because I have been part of, you could say, some uh, some group work where we spend maybe uh, a month or two, and we got absolutely nothing. And and it's a lot of money uh, to spend in resources uh, with, with absolute no value. So what we've done is we've simply created a process, and obviously it's not the exact science or anything, but but just say, well, let's limit, um, you could say, the time frame that we need. Let's box it in, yeah. um, throw some resources at it, and and if we can see something, then we have a, a board structure where we can, uh, you could say, take a, a, um, a look at it and and decide whether we, this is something we should continuously invest in or or simply stop. And, and I think just to add to that, I, I completely agree, Nadim. And I, I think um, uh, I've applied the same in, in, in various places. And I think uh, one of the important things there is to set this standard, this framework uh, up front before you start the engagement, right? So if you start a two week process, you don't want to sit there after two weeks and say, well, it's kind of good, but I don't really know if I'm supposed to continue or not, right? Uh, you You want to be very exact in terms of saying, you know, put up some exact metrics and say, well, if the accuracy is below this and, uh, you know, the data quality is like this and this and this, well, then, you know, you, you don't move on, for example, right? Because if, if you don't do that, if you do that on towards the end, then, uh, you know, it, it's it's very bad, right? Uh, so so you want to set it up before you start the, the process. You want to say, well, this is, this is go, this is no go. Um, yeah. 
Taran, did you want to add something? Nah, it's it's a, it's a bit of the same. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, <clears throat> it's it's really important that we sometimes try to solve something that we don't know what it is, right? Because the the, the business doesn't know, you know, <laughs> that there's a problem or that there's a solution or something. So, of course, we need to have the uh, possibility to do that from time to time. And I feel like the people who is in this industry also like this kind of work where you like feel you're you're stepping on, on new ground. Uh, but definitely time box it. I've wasted months and months on uh, on things where I thought I had something and, uh, you know, people should have stopped me like <laughs> way, way, way before we ended up uh, uh, putting it to the grave. So, um, yeah, totally agree time boxing it and uh, and having acceptance criteria up front. So, you know, like what is it like? What would be a criteria for us to continue in this path? Um, it's definitely the, a solution, I think. Okay, great. So I think we'll leave it there. I think we've come to a slight natural end. We could go on for a lot longer with the number of questions we got. Maybe we'll do a part two someday. Um, but firstly, before we go, I just want to take the opportunity to thank you all, Rasmus, Søren, Nadim and Jens. Some great insights and a great conversation. Um, and yeah, great insights, like I mentioned. Hopefully, either each of you or some of our listeners can take something away from it learn something today who knows um but yeah so thank you all for listening i hope you've enjoyed today's episode this has been the evolution exchange podcast see you next time <laughs>